0: everyone welcome back to another episode of the y2 podcast i'm your host dustin elliott and on this podcast i look to answer a simple yet powerful question how can we ask better questions to live a better life now as always if this is your first episode then let me take a moment and welcome you and thank you so much for taking some time to join us today or if you're already a regular listener and subscriber welcome back For those of you joining us for the first time, this podcast is all about exploring how we can ask better questions to help us live a better life, being happier, healthier, and more successful in all the different aspects. This podcast is broken up into two parts. The first part, earlier in the week, or the odd-numbered episodes for those of you playing at home, is where I break this question down into smaller, bite-sized topics, uh, where we can start to look at different strategies, tactics, and approaches to help us ask better questions to live a better life. The second part, which is today's episode, always happening later in the week, and the even numbers, is where I interview a range of professionals from a variety of backgrounds who all share one common bond. Their ability to do their jobs largely depends on their ability to ask good questions. So far we've recorded with qualitative researchers, data scientists, police officers, high-priced consultants, professional interviews, personal coaches and a range of other top professionals so we can learn how to ask questions like say a police detective or a researcher. Now, of course, if you like what you've heard so far and you haven't already, uh, make sure you do hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. These episodes are really meant to build on one another, so certainly, again, welcome you to, if this is your first time, listen to today. But make sure you hit that subscribe and you can go back and start to listen to some previous episodes to get a little bit of the background as to some of the things we'll talk about in today's guest episode and obviously for the first half of our episodes where we break this question down. Links, as always, to everything, including those episodes, on the Y2 Podcast website at projecty2.com. You can check out more resources, those links like I mentioned, there's a mailing list, and a whole range of other little things there for your entertainment. Of course, I always want to take a quick minute and thank the Y2 Podcast official sponsor, YZ. YZ is an easy-to-use online training software that makes it so simple to create and deliver online learning. If you haven't already, make sure you jump over to their website at yz.com, that's w y z e d.com to check out some videos and even get started with your own 14-day free trial. And with that being said, here's today's episode. Chris, welcome to the Y2 podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Dustin. It's uh, it's such a pleasure to be here, and uh, I get to take a big uh, uh, something quite important to me off my bucket list, and that's visiting Culture Amp's office finally for the first time. Uh, it's such a delight to to be here, and I just want to thank you again for for your time and the opportunity to come out and chat with you as part of this project. Thanks very much.
1: So it's very awesome to have you here.
0: <laughs> my pleasure. You know, one of the funny thing is I've, I've known Culture Amp, um, know about Culture Amp for a while, and obviously you'll you'll talk about it in a moment and and what you do here, but when I think about asking questions, I think that's always kind of come from this idea as well too that, you know, uh, Call tramp in terms of learning about what they did and about this idea about asking questions and obviously a company-wide format it's a really really interesting concept and it's such a obviously I'll talk more about Tramp and do a, a, a better fitting of, of what uh, Tramp is but this idea of asking questions and it's it can be such a simple thing but it can also at the same time have so many complexities and nuances to it it's such a it's such a fascinating topic and you yourself as a people scientist having probably one of the coolest titles um, I can think about there um, I'm so excited to finally, after having a while, sat with this and thinking about it, the opportunity to, to finally dig into that. But I suppose with that, I'd love if you can just start us off today to tell us a bit about what you do, as well as a bit of co- a bit of context, better than what I did in uh, what is CultureAmp. Sure. So, people
1: science is one of those things that <laughs> I do a lot of explaining. And you can say you start a workshop, and you're a people scientist, and you're like, oh, that's awesome, I want that title. But well, what does it mean? Um, so, for us at CultureAmp, people science is all about the science and the rigor behind the platform. And it's, it's about helping our customers and the community make, the, make valid choices, right? And ask the right questions. Because CultureAmp is a, it's a platform, it's a people feedback platform. It allows customers to collect, understand, and act on, on employee feedback, right? And it's mm-hmm. about helping an organization or HR person become more culture first. Right, get the right data, help the right the road right, make the right decisions and, and go on that journey if we get getting more culture first. So people science is there to help to make sure that customers use the technology, not the platform, mm-hmm. in the, the best way. And often that's everything around the platform, thinking about how is the data gonna be used, how is it gonna be integrated into their like daily working lives. Um, and that's a bit there's a big realm in that. So we see a lot of variation. <laughs>
0: yeah. Fantastic. You know, one of the things we spoke about before, um, and I want to really kick today's conversation off of, is this idea that when we ask questions, it can sometimes be a bit challenging So the question is trying to understand necessarily the destination or, or what the answer or what information we're looking to achieve out of it. But when we do that and we start to think about that process, it's sometimes it's difficult to think, without having much data what mm. questions you need in order to inform yourself to get to that particular outcome. And I know we spoke before, you yourself, as you start to sit down with clients as a part of the early part of the process, this becomes a really pivotal process in terms of, well, what questions do we what questions do we need to understand? What questions do we need to ask in order to get the information that we need? And I'd love if you can just start us off to start to take us through a little bit about this process that you work with uh, for clients.
1: Absolutely. So it's 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 that's probably the, the most fun <laughs> part of the job. I mean, because you're you're starting with a blank slate and it's really fun because the questions you ask the customer end up determining where everything goes. Mm. And sometimes everything can be really crystal clear and you know the questions illuminate some path that uh, and they make your job easy, mm-hmm. right? Or the other hand, it's much more difficult. I don't know where they're going and therefore there's no real path to illuminate. Um, so when we we're meeting with organisations and customers, we're we're always asking, when when they want to start collecting feedback, they say, what's the point? So sort of mm-hmm. like, why why are we collecting feedback? And often the reasons could be that they've done recent actions, so they're, they're this is on the back of something, mm-hmm. and they want to collect feedback to get an update or to see you know like a check in of how have things been going so far. Have there been an improvement? Any warnings going on? and should we do something else now, is good enough. So that's that's when something is already going on. But a lot more of the time, nothing's happened for the last five <laughs> years, or even before, or before this person's time. And they're at the stage where they, they want to get more feedback. Mm-hmm. And they're just starting from scratch. And in that case, the why is all about action. And they need to be asking questions that are gonna unearth the right things that will help them improve their organisation as a place to work. Mm-hmm. And that's when we start talking about some other things, things like having an outcome for a survey. So if I said, you know, why, why, what is the point? Why are you collecting feedback? And you said, well, I want to, it, I want to improve engagement, right? I want to, And then I want to make this organisation a better place to work for our people. And if we can do that, then we know that they'll be more productive and the organisation will be better off performance-wise. Mm-hmm. Then, well, straight away we've, we've identified the outcome. And in the outcome there is a more engaged employee, And that makes it really simple, because straight away, then you can look at engagement. Now, that's a really simple outcome. Uh, In simple terms, we talk about it being the emotional commitment to an organisation. And we have some questions to go along with that. Um, We're we're not huge fans of reinventing the wheel. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of thing that's... There's a lot of science behind engagement. It's stayed relatively similar for the last 30 years. But we are interested in saying, what's the right experience? Mm -hmm. What's going to get us where we want to go? So, so we, we think about engagement and as the outcome of the survey. Now, the concept of it being the outcome is really important because we want people to be more engaged. We want them to enjoy working here more and we want them to, you know, work harder and uh, be happier here. Mm-hmm. But you can't just go ahead and tell someone, you know, <laughs> to, like, be prouder, yeah. be happier, be, <laughs> let, you know, be more motivated, please, recommend us more, then, you know, everyone wins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that. Now, that's why we consider um, it's almost like a, like a seesaw where you've got the outcome on one end to so engagement mm-hmm. and then you've got all the other things that can impact um, that outcome and engagement on the other side of the seesaw. And it's about which of them has the biggest leverage, mm. the biggest impact. You know, it's, it's like ROI. And what can we do to actually improve engagement the most? So then we think about questions that will impact engagement. Now, luckily enough... I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a really well-validated construct. There's a lot of research out there. Engagement's been happening for the last, like, 30 years at least. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have been doing engagement. It hasn't changed a huge amount, but when we talk about it, technology is really the, the big change. So people are doing what they've been doing for a long time, except it's now faster and cheaper and better. Mm-hmm. So when we're thinking about why we want to survey, it's actually to take action. And in order to take action, we need to know what to do. And in order to know what to do, we need to know what we want to improve. Mm -hmm. And if we want to improve engagement, we need to ask all these questions to work out which of these can have the biggest impact on engagement. And that's why we would look at things like change, communication, honesty, um, learning and development is a really common one, leadership, manager behaviours. And doing that and asking all of these questions Allows us to see: Does learning and development have the biggest impact on engagement? Mm-hmm. Right? Does that is that either keeping people engaged or getting the way of them being being engaged, or is it something like leadership? You know, my leader's a communicator, motivating vision. Mm-hmm. So we ask all of these questions, really, to then use the data to tell us. You know, there's like a, it's a correlation in the background, but with this impact analysis, but, that, <laughs> but that's going to tell us which of these. Areas from leadership, communication, manager, learning, and development, have the biggest impact on engagement. And at the end of this this whole approach, the person is going to be able to say, you know what, I can identify the single focus area that will give me the biggest ROI and engagement. Mm-hmm. And that's a really powerful thing. And I think that's a big differentiator in why people ask questions, why people collect feedback, um, and. It's, it, yeah, as I said before it's it's different to I'm just getting an update I don't actually want to measure everything I just mm-hmm. want to measure a few select things see how they're going and not change my approach but when we're measuring an outcome and doing this full it's almost like a diagnostic mm-hmm. of, of an organisation's culture and the experiences that people have in that organisation we can then use that to see alright what can we do to improve and actually take action
2: mm-hmm.
1: now it's a whole other thing to actually you know <laughs> make that action successful and effective yep. but that's, that's yeah, so starting with why is really important when we ask questions. I mean, it's a bit different when we think about individual-level feedback. So oh, I guess,
0: so? When, what would be the difference in that? Um,
1: so I guess it's important to ask who the feedback is about and who mm. it's for. Um, when we're asking uh, feedback for an organisation, it's about collective experiences or people's individual experiences kind of summed up and aggregated. Mm-hmm. When we're asking about individual feedback... And that might be me doing you know what you typically call 360 mm-hmm. and you collect feedback all around you from peers direct reports and, and uh, manager um, what's the point of the feedback and it changes right because when we're getting organizational level feedback it's about it it is about what we can improve but when we're collecting individual feedback the scope of improving is much smaller. Mm. so the questions are I would get you to answer about me um, if we were co-workers would be, you know, really specific things on what are my strengths, what are my opportunities. And we'd think about communication, my strategic level thinking, my, um, technical skills, you know, my, uh, my, maybe I've got direct reports and then, you know, then it's about those skills as well. But it's about which of those do you see as a, someone who works around me Mm -hmm. as my greatest opportunities or my greatest strengths that I need to keep working on? so it's, it's really different. Whereas if we're talking organisational, it might be things like there are career opportunities here. Mm-hmm. And that's not something, you know, Joe Blow over here can actually work <laughs> on themselves. Yeah, but something that requires more of a, a cohesive action, right, across an organisation. Mm. So when we're thinking about, yeah, the feedback level, in a sense, is it individual, is it team, is it an organisation, we need to be thinking about... Um, what what are the what are the things that we can actually do? What what things could we actually take practical action on? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and if we can't, then there's no point in asking those.
0: Mm. I'm curious. Are there certain things you see uh, organizations or managers at probably high level? Are there certain? Uh, Trends or sort of um, commonalities you see that people have a wrong mindset, or maybe it's not data, or or you know more recent science-driven in terms of how they generally try to approach uh, constructing these uh, these surveys or how they think they should be constructed or delivered.
1: Hmm. Um. It's it yeah, definitely, and it always surprises me. In fact, <laughs> the uh, the other day my mum was asking about me her opinion. She she works it for. I wouldn't say (laughs) that. Yeah. But she was talking about a survey she was getting, that was very long. You know, talking about something that would have taken her forty minutes to do. Mm -hmm. And then I said, "But who's doing it? Mm -hmm. If if only if only your you know like your senior leadership team Mm -hmm. is doing you know kind of a three hundred and sixty survey or something about reflection and personal development, Mm -hmm. and it takes them forty minutes. Okay, you know, it seems like there's a payoff in terms of it takes a lot of time, but you get really good quality feedback." Alternatively, um, if you're if you're asking everyone in an organisation to spend forty minutes, you know, <laughs> on, to getting feedback yeah. on an organisation, that just immediately went why? Yeah, there's there's almost no need. Um, so one of the biggest misconceptions, and it's almost like human uh, human desires, human abilities, is that we want to action everything. Mm. We, like we yeah. we get a big list of data points, a big report. Um, and we want to do something about everything, and it's it's a mistake because we need to kind of come back to the idea of successful action, mm-hmm. and like the reality of the real the real desired like, the real desired movement right over time is that an organisation slowly gets becomes a better and better place to work. Mm-hmm. That's like the end result. And if you if you did a full engagement survey at the start of this year. What would you rather have happen, right? Would you rather have happen, you know, what some, some, you create, you improve some learning and development opportunities for your people. They can see that there's better career opportunities for them. And then slowly their engagement rises over a six month span. Or do you do that? You see like 20, you know, 10 opportunities. Yeah. You're like, you know what? There's no time like the present. Let's do more, Yeah. And then you create hardly any movement yeah. against any of them. But, you know, you, you talk a little bit of game. At the end of the day, it's the first one that actually creates real change, mm-hmm. and people forget that. Yeah. So we see often and hear about really large surveys um, that pe- where people don't think about action,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then the in- that comes that comes around as well when we think about interpreting surveys and interpreting the data and the questions. That will they people want to interpret everything, whereas they don't think about. What's the one or two things we can get the biggest leverage? Mm-hmm. And we've actually seen amongst our community, amongst our, mani- uh, amongst our um, customers, that the ones that take the most successful action focus on the fewest things. Mm. And they'll focus on one, maybe two things for, you know, three-month, six-month period. And then they might change. Mm-hmm. Once they've that they've actually, you know, moved the needle enough yeah. on it. Which is interesting. So a lot of people don't think that.
0: It's funny because as you were talking about that, the, the quote popped into my head, but it's something to the effect of we overestimate or no, we yeah, overestimate what we can get done in a week, but we underestimate what we can done in a year. And I think I kind of, at least for me, as I think about that, it's easy. It's tempting. Even with myself, I might ask people or I might get feedback about what I can improve on, what I can do better. And yeah, it's tempting to go, OK, I want to do everything at once instead of being like, OK, I, I might continue to suck at those bottom eight things for a little while longer. But what can I focus on that is going to give me maybe the highest ROI, the disproportionate return on everything mm-hmm. else, and then the discipline to sort of stick at that, knowing that, you, again, you've got the feedback to say, I suck at these eight things, yeah. but I need to consistently work on that, and the consistent, as I, as I frequently talk about, the little things become the big things or are the big things, so those little actions all the time that you can consistently do, but focusing on one or two things to start actually to move the needle and then the compounding effects as that might then start to trickle down into other things, which might start to improve because of a particular area of communication, or you know whatever that might be, that we start to improve upon.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, and um, that comes back when we when we think about what questions we're asking as well, because you don't want to ask too many, mm. right? And I mean, whenever you, especially to an organization, or even when you're doing individual level feedback, the questions you ask are also communicating your expectations. Yeah. And that if you're if you're asking, you know, um, do you see career opportunities here? Or are the leaders communicating motivating vision or my, my manager has had a career conversation with me about things. When you ask those things, you you're saying that you want them to happen. Mm-hmm. And if you're asking everything, <laughs> but there's some things you just never, never will do, you'll never work on, mm-hmm. then you, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. And a common example is uh, like salary and compensation. Some organizations will say, No, we're not asking it. And for them, if it is not something that they would actually do, Mm -hmm. then it's the right approach. But we've actually seen, I mean, you know, using the data, you can then actually have a more intelligent conversation of, is this something that's a really key part of your people's engagement right now? Or is it just a hygiene factor? Is it good enough for the time being? And we've actually seen some organisations where they say, oh, everyone's always rates that low. (laughs) Yeah, everybody wants more money, yeah. Exactly. Who's going to say, yes, I'm I'm paid a fair amount relative to other organisations in similar roles? Yeah. Uh, Some people actually agree and and good on them. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of people say it's always low, what's the point? But you ask that question, you get feedback, and when you're able to say at the end of the story that there are some people who are actually engaged... And they're agreeing with that question mm-hmm. and actually saying, oh, um, I am engaged and I think I'm paid fairly. And then inversely, you've got people that are not engaged mm. but they're not being paid fairly either. And you start to look at the data, you see a relationship between the two questions. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually saw this with a law firm once that um, there was a, it was really highly tied to engagement. And they, they did this survey, they found that out as their top driver. They decided that we're going to work on that, um, which... It's interesting. Not a lot of organisations would, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. You you really have to use the data to reinforce like the truth, as opposed to just these beliefs. Yeah, um, you know, beliefs that oh, no, um, money will never make more people more engaged, mm-hmm. but in some cases it does. So they worked on it. They did another engagement survey six months later after a full comp and benefits review, mm-hmm. and engagement had risen, <laughs> and so had yeah. their the, the, their people's perceptions on the, the fairness of their Contracts and you know their pay. Now, um, hadn't raised, hadn't risen a huge amount, but it had raised like five to ten percentage points. But the thing was that it was enough. It mm-hmm. was high enough yep. now, and at that point, um, it wasn't getting in the way or hindering their people's engagement. Which is interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I do love that idea that when we when we ask questions, we elicit feedback, and we have to be really careful. And I've certainly I've I've experienced this in my own right, even within the podcast as well too. I've I've asked for feedback. People have given me feedback. I might not have agreed with that feedback, but the thing is, is I can I can see where they come back, and it, when I ask for feedback again, I can certainly notice that there's they're probably a lot less giving um, because I, I didn't take that feedback on board. I didn't necessarily um, acknowledge that feedback. But I suppose for yourself. As you sort of advise clients, are there certain strategies that we can uh, employ during that process where maybe maybe we don't want to change our compensation, but we still want to ask the question anyways in order to get the feedback, but well, we're probably not going to move it kind of thing? Are there certain strategies or, or processes you might go through to still try to get the data, but mitigate expectations or manage expectations kind of thing? It's a
1: good question. That's, that's the kind of, it's, it's, it's the kind of a cre- request we would get every mm-hmm. now and then, um, but it's a tricky one because you, you want feedback on an area, mm-hmm. however, you don't see yourself potentially actually doing anything about it mm-hmm. in the near future. So you'd start off with like, well, why do we need feedback? Mm. Um, and we, are, we do ask that a lot, and sometimes we don't always get clear answers. Um sometimes people just have have it in their mind that they need to ask it, because yeah. they they want feedback for certain reasons. but there's not always there's not always value in asking these things. Now, if you had to said that we worked on it last year and we're not going to work on it again, you know we're not going to re- we're not going to reevaluate where we're sitting in the market. we've you know we've kind of leveled out our our salary bands according to the market, so we're happy with the way mm-hmm. they are we're not going to do anything for them, but we still need to see where things are at. Mm-hmm. Now that that would be a valid reason for, for getting feedback on that kind of area, um, seeing that seeing that it was an okay level that it hadn't dropped, and potentially even seeing if it actually impacted something that you wanted to impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the challenge is that there's no real two ways about it. Yeah. If you're if you're asking someone to think and reflect, whether or not their it will stick with the compensation, their compensation is fair mm-hmm. relative to other organisations in similar roles then they're going to think about it. And if it isn't fair, they're going to they're going to say, well, they're going to feel, actually, um, it's, it's not fair. No, I'm just disagreeing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then you're in a bit of a, a pickle. A bit of pickle, yeah. Right? I mean, the, the worst thing you can do is ask the same questions year after year and see the same themes come out year after year mm-hmm. and decide to work on something else instead. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and
1: unfortunately, we do see that every now and then. Um, a lot of, a lot of organizations will actually see that they you know get the whole thing mm-hmm. that they will actually they'll, they'll get they'll collect feedback they'll look at it they'll understand what the biggest and the highest impact areas are with the biggest potentials for improving are and, and they'll work on them they'll create this this f- uh, feedback cycle, this mm-hmm. feedback loop where they'll acknowledge the feedback, they'll say the thank you, they'll say, this is what I'm seeing, this is what we're going to do next. And then in six months or three months, we're going to survey again, and that's where we're going to get more feedback, see how we've gone. And and it works wonderfully, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also organisations like these, like others, um, as you mentioned, that will ask the same questions over and over. Um, and and it's difficult because if you you know think about yourself and put yourself in that situation you're giving feedback about similar things some things working well some things not working mm-hmm. well but you don't see anything happen that's what's going to lead to survey fatigue mm-hmm. and a lot and it's funny because people will sometimes talk about survey fatigue as if it's a problem by yeah. itself <laughs> oh, we've got this we got survey fatigue it's horrible um, we're going to throw something new and shiny at it yeah. and it'll fix it yeah. and you know as we as we talk a lot about technology isn't a silver bullet. Yeah. You know, it, it'll, it, it's really gonna amplify whatever you've been doing and whatever you are doing. So you can't just use technology to solve your problems.
0: Yeah, you know, as, as you were talking though, one thing I thought about was kind of back to the compensation that, you, I mean, kind of go back to kind of what I was thinking is that if you if you know you, you need to get some data on it, you need to try to figure out where you might be in terms of being placed. Obviously, in this method, we're talking about you survey your people and their expectations as well. But at the same time, I wonder in terms of, like you kind of said, well, maybe we can find some other data. Maybe we won't ask our employees per se, but we can look at some sort of market data, market research to say, well. It maybe not is in the experience of our employees, but we kind of know we're sitting about mid market or stuff like that. And what kind of me originally the question was one of the questions that I surveyed a lot when I first started my podcast is, is it too long? Because it is one and a half to two damn hours in terms of my traditional podcast. Mm. And I got some feedback there and I really grappled with how to do that. But like I said, I started to get some people who were um, not their fault. They were getting, I think, a little bit like, gee, Dustin, you're asking this question. You haven't really done anything about it. So I'm just going to probably stop giving you answers, which is totally fair. I get it. So then what I tried to do was to say, okay, well, I've got this sort of hypothesis about the length of my podcast. Maybe I can try to find some other proxy data Mm -hmm. kind of thing to try to get a bit of a grip on the answer. Obviously, my listeners are still, their experience is the most important thing, but is there other sort of ways I can try to get a bit of a pulse on it kind of thing? And that's Mm -hmm. sort of the process I went through. But I want to do pick up on something else you said, because you uh, yourself and CultureAmp have a really simple methodology that you talk about and you work with clients. I love if you can take us through a little bit about that.
1: Totally. So at a high level, it looks like collect and understand and act. So CultureAmp's all about helping organizations learn faster through feedback. And, and feedback is our lifeblood, it's in our DNA. And so it looks like the first step is collect. And the idea that you're going out there to collect feedback from your people, and that can take many forms, many different shapes. Um, you know, there are different trends that come over time. One of the more recent trends you've probably heard about is the idea of like reg- like super <laughs> regular feedback, mm-hmm. like weekly feedback, monthly feedback. Um, and you know, we grapple and we talk about these things all the time. Um, The people people science team at Coltrane loves to just have these, like, secret (laughs) discussions. We talk about what people are doing, what people are talking about, the pros and cons, what we've seen work well. I mean, we've got this amazing community of customers, right, and there's now over 1,500 globally. And there's a lot of learnings in there. So, we think, you know, we see some people trying monthly surveys. Mm -hmm. We see some people trying random sampling where you don't, you don't survey everyone in one go. You survey a small bunch here, then you try someone else and then someone else. And one person will only answer a survey once a year, but you're getting mm. regular feedback. Um, and it's interesting. All the discussions about all these different ways of collecting feedback always end up with, is it going to help you take action? And mm. does it lead to successful action? And if you're asking monthly surveys, it probably doesn't. You know, I mean, if, if you're asking someone to give you feedback every month, mm-hmm. you're probably not asking them to give you very in-depth feedback. And what is going to be changing between the different times that you've given the feedback every month? So one of our principles is uh, survey, survey as fast as you can act. Mm-hmm. And if you can't act very fast, that means you shouldn't survey very fast. And for some organisations, it means that you survey once a year, and that might be right for you. And then others, it might be every quarter, and that's right. Um, and then you've got the idea of what actually are you collecting? You know, is it a big survey? Is it and is it short? And that touches on one of the first things we talked about. But like, why are you collecting feedback? Mm-hmm. Is it because you've taken action? Is it because you're just checking in? Let's say you've done this big project on compensation. Then the purpose isn't actually about taking action. It's about saying, has it mm. worked? And then you do a short pulse survey. Pulses are great, awesome another buzzword. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's lots of different ways. I mean, one of the interesting things I think that your listeners might appreciate is one of my favourite sayings, and I've picked it up from our chief scientist, Dr Jason McPherson, is that user experience is the most underrated aspect of validity. And a lot of people will approach surveying and, you know, like, in a sense, it's employee research, Mm -hmm. but it's also just asking questions. And they'll approach it with, you know, what they learn at uni. And they're thinking about the validity like numbers, the mm-hmm. alpha cronbacks, the the factors and all, all, <laughs> all the, and you know ra- randomizing the question order yeah. and reversing question scales and all this stuff they do in academia and it has its purpose but in an organization where we're really the most concerned about action mm-hmm. right that's really all that matters and if it's a significant difference or not you know we'll talk about some maths and things it doesn't matter mm-hmm. the biggest thing is about whether or not it's going to help you take action um, so we talk about user experience. I mean the actual platform and the technology mm, is connecting
0: them to actually to the questions and had yeah. that sort of, that journey kind of thing, right? Totally.
1: Like making us making a survey fast to answer, right? So we we often point people towards um, agreement style questions. So you, you have a you have a statement, then you would rate do you strongly disagree, disagree, mm. neutral, agree or strongly agree? Um, that is actually the easiest question type to, to answer at all. Because straight away from reading it, you instinctively, your brain will go, oh, do I agree? Mm. How do I sit in terms of this statement? And that's your answer. Mm-hmm. But you compare it to something like, you know, zero to one out of five or um, satisfaction or something. You've then got to think about how you think about the statement. Right. You know, what like, that
0: translates into in terms yeah, of then my answer or the number, which is then my answer kind exactly. of thing. Exactly.
1: So there's more mental steps right? and that kind of thing. So it's really about experience <laughs> at the end of that, like mental experience, mental fatigue. Um, it's like... One of the unique things CultureRamp does is allow people to leave comments each time for every single question. Um, There's not many people do that. Mm. And it's not really intuitive. And if you think about, you know, the, um, the old ways of doing things, you can mm. leave spaces of questions. You have them at the end or you have them in a section and you want really in-depth feedback. But what we've actually learned is that if you can improve the, the end user's experience, your employee's experience, you'll get better quality feedback. And that is going to help you. Mm. so imagine someone answers a question about their leadership and then they're like oh i've got a really important note to leave either i feel really good about it or <laughs> bad about it but i want to leave that they can and are we actually see a lot of people really appreciating the ability to do that um yeah so user experience really interesting idea yeah. i think and it's really disrupting so well, I-
0: even on that too i want to touch on this idea right because i mean at, at the core of the podcast is asking about the questions but more and more the journey I go on is mm. it's it's actually really not about the questions. That, that plays a, that plays an element and a role, but we have to think of everything else as amplifying factors as well. And we want it to, in order to get the best response, in order to our question to to elicit the correct response or the one we're looking to achieve, we have to look at the other factors. So something we've talked about is you mentioned user experience, right? But even thinking things like environment, right? What's the environment we're, mm. we're doing in? How are we structuring the question to a certain extent? How are we looking to receive that feedback it's all these sort of things that we don't maybe necessarily think about you're my employee i just say hey guys what do you think about this kind of thing right and that whole entire context that's the question but everything else surrounded around that where did i ask you you know where were you at what mindset were you at what did you just done you know what sort of feedback what instructions did i give that whole entire aspect yeah. can play a really significant role and if you start doing that over you know dozens and, and, and more and more people, we're talking manually, but obviously with technology, like I said, amplifies it. It can start to start to play a really meaningful role as to start to not skew the data, but change the data maybe away from, you know, what it could be otherwise, I guess, I eh?
1: mm, Exactly. It's crazy. And I mean, if you want another contentious <laughs> example. <laughs> Bring it. Um, <laughs> ENPS. So like, you so see, you're familiar with net promoter schools. Yeah. Yeah. It's used in marketing all the time. But after it was user marketing, it was then taken to employee stuff, right? Organizations. And then internally. And that's when it became the ENPS, Employee Net Promoter School. Um, and HR people have used it as a, as a way to say, how are people doing? Give me a number. Mm-hmm. And it says, how many promoters do we have in an organization? And it's literally about how many people would recommend us. Yeah. And that used to be really valuable. And that used to be a singular source of insight. And you know, as we as we've gone broader and broader in the market, and we, we're exposed to more diverse customers, and from old industries, from new, from conservative to um, to modern, um, we, we you know we get some people ask this. You know, can we can you get an, an EMPS? And we can, mm-hmm. and it's doable. But we'd much more prefer to talk <laughs> about it with our customers. Yeah, right. And that's when we get into these discussions of does it actually help promote action? is it you know is it useful um how have you been using the data and often it's things like just just to report on it you mm-hmm. know give, give me a number i can then present back to the executive team yeah. but the yeah so we like to think about does, does it give action and that's a really interesting one in terms of experience so back in the day if you're filling out a paper form you know zero to ten was the, was the scale for an NPS question um simple easy you just t- tick the box all good and then you did your own year number map, the things where you divide it into promoters, detractors, and unusual people. Um, but as we've moved to technology, the same things don't apply. And the same scale doesn't apply. And if you think about using your phone, which are like a million people <laughs> do, and providing, you know, giving feedback on your phone, which, are, you know, compared to your computer, which we'd say is almost more than half sometimes, mm. zero to 10 doesn't really fit very well on yeah. your phone screen, right? And if you're using your thumb to try and actually choose how you answer, it's 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 a non-starter. Yeah. So it's it's crazy that back in the day when you couldn't ask a lot of questions and you had so we're doing a paper survey, if I asked you to do five full questions, you'd be like, "Groan, oh my god, that's <laughs> so many questions." But you do five questions, statement agreement style questions on on the computer or on your phone, it's much faster for you to do. Right with optional comments Mm -hmm. it turns from something that we needed an EMPS that was simple and fast and Mm -hmm. gave us one number to using technology we can reframe the user experience so it's faster it's simple and if they want to express themselves and give more feedback they can
0: so that's an interesting one that's (laughs) fascinating that's so cool I look forward to obviously how things progress even as time goes on as well too and just how how the evolution of that continues but I suppose keeping our eye on time here, I do, yeah. I do want to ask one last important question. Um, I, didn't, I didn't prep this to beforehand, but I suppose if you look back on whether it be yourself personally or something you find in your work, do you have sort of a, a favourite question or a go-to question that you, that you find has, has really served you well in your life?
1: Oh, that is a good question.
0: <laughs> um, I, want to, I want to approach
1: it from two perspectives. The first one is just for myself. So something that I found uh, found really useful to ask myself and to reflect on is what do I want from whatever I'm doing, mm. and I've I've been asking the same thing and I've been focusing on similar topics for a long time now, but the answer is always elusive. <laughs> you know, it's it's never quite there, and sometimes it changes, and I think that's really interesting. So thinking about why why am I doing something? What do I want from it? Things like work, what's next for me? Why am I spending all my time? on my career, right? Or a side project or, or what is it I really want? And if you can identify what you really want, you often find that that gives you more focus mm. to discard some things, focus more on some other things, um, which is really interesting. So especially things like, so I, uh, last year, I transitioned from being a customer success coach at Culture M to being a people scientist. And one of the one of the answers that helped me was thinking about what what I really want. And I really want to focus more on the um, the science. Mm-hmm. I really want to focus more on the domain. And that meant that, all right, you know, what, I'm probably going to be more fulfilled working as a people scientist. And that helped me identify what were the specific things I could do that would help other people around me see me as a people scientist, mm. that other people in the business recognize me as someone capable of being a people scientist. And I think that helped me, I guess, becoming and, and change roles into that mm-hmm. more. So, so faster. So that's an interesting one I've been reflecting on personally. I actually discussed it with a colleague yesterday. Oh fantastic. Talking about um, you know, whether or not people think for the, think about themselves or they yeah. think about others. And this so other person was actually at this point in time thinking more about their family and what they could do for this other person and not much about themselves. Mm. Which, uh, you know, people go through different phases. It's interesting. Yeah. Um so interpersonally, at least at work, one of the one of the really interesting questions that uh, I've i used every now and then and it really unlocks like the next step of, of insight is what does success look like? Mm. Um, and especially when we've been doing some things at CultureAmp where we've been trying to pitch the exec team and we've in big lofty ideas. We're not sure whether or not it might work, but one of the ways to get their, um, to get their insight on it is to actually ask, you know, what does success look like? And if it's gimping in our picture, this is what success looks like to us. But to them, what would their success? Mm. What would success for this look like for them? And often they have a totally different picture in mind, right? They're thinking about other people's experience, or they're thinking about the way it plays together. Um, yeah, actually, and that me. So I would often complement that with how can I make this successful. Um, back in the day, I, when I was about a few months into culture, I saw the need. To give public recognition to my peers, where I one of one of the one of my co-workers friends that had done something awesome, they'd worked with this customer, they'd solved the problem for them, and I'm like, that's really valuable. culture a really dispersed organization. Mm-hmm. Other people need to know about this. They need to know how awesome this person is, but there was no real neat way to do it. So, <laughs> at the same time, i have been looking and reading. This is the when the growth or the explosion of Slack bots mm-hmm. and chat bots came out. Everyone was talking about them. And I'm like, I want to make one. But I saw the opportunity because there was no easy way of giving this public recognition. And I ended up with this idea of a props bot. So um, a Slack bot that (laughs) that you give, I can give props to one of my colleagues. And then it gets shared in like a real-time props channel, Mm -hmm. but also in a digest. Once a week, all the props in the company get sent to everyone. So straight away, everyone in the company can see all the props that people are giving. And it means that you get really good insight into mm. all these things that are happening across the business, but the uh, the real insight was that I was I was talking to other people in the business and I was saying what do I need to do to make this happen? And it was the first time I'd done it. I was relatively new to Culture Amp. didn't really know the, the edgings and goings and and I thought it was a pretty it's a pretty culturally significant thing. Mm. And um, and I was like, how? Do, who's who's buying? Do I need to make it work? Who needs to give me approval? Who just who just needs who do we need advice from? Mm-hmm. And I was talking to one of my colleagues, Chloe here, and she's all the time. She's also a people scientist still is, um, and she was doing a lot of work internally, right, with Didier the CEO and, and on our culture and our values. And I thought, like, oh, she's the person that would know. So I you know ask her feedback, and then I say, look, do I have to do I have to check with Didier? You know, like he's the CEO, mm-hmm. he's the the arbitrator of our culture. And interestingly, she said like. You'd get useful insight from him, but I think you've got enough validation at this point from enough people that this would be useful. So don't ask for approval, but instead ask for his input. Mm. And the best way to do that is to ask, I want to get your input on um, what would make this successful and so what needs to happen. And instead of saying, like, can I do this, yes or no, it says, how can you give me input on what's going to make this successful or not. And so from his perspective of the organization and had some really good ideas. But it was interesting. So it's almost like you're turning them into a collaborator, yeah. right, instead of an improver. Yeah. Um, so that was really interesting and a really applied example.
0: Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I, I love that idea that it's. A, I think it's a It's a very nuanced sort of soft approach in terms of just to go to people. And something I talk about um, on the podcast probably won't come out probably be after this episode but there will be an episode that talks about this where it's this idea that you don't always have the right answers right you it's sort of the 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 sum is greater than the whole of the parts i think is this as the saying goes kind of thing so if we have ideas or we have those sort of um uh, those thoughts as maybe we could bring or 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 you know, bring to the world or initiatives or ideas, but being able to gather a range of people and be open to that sort of feedback as well. And all of a sudden, what can feel like a lonely thing trying to champion this idea or this initiative or whatever, all of a sudden you start to create this tribe around you, right, and, and it, will, it will potentially morph a little bit from what you originally had, but if you're sort of continuously focused on solving the problem and not the solution, um, it's pretty amazing what you can create, and and, and being really focused on, um, you know, what change you can bring to the world, kind of thing. So yeah. that was fantastic. Because um, totally. this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your insights. I'm, I'm super excited to see, obviously, as as your career grows within uh, CallTramp and all the things that CallTramp does. I suppose for people listening, where can they reach out to you? Where where can they stay in touch with all the things that you're doing?
1: Uh, so you can find, I guess, me on Twitter. Chris underscore Barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also check out the Culture Amp blog where we write a lot about this. So I mentioned Jason McPherson. He, he does a bunch of research. Um, so if you're interested in things like uh, are managers or are leaders more important to whether or not a person stays or leaves an organisation and you think that a manager is more important to keeping someone there, <laughs> go go to our CultureRamp blog, you'll find this post, and you'll see that the research probably proves you wrong.
0: Fantastic, yeah. Um,
1: so CultureRamp blog, really interesting uh, place. We'll put lots of research up there. Um, otherwise, Twitter is a great place to have a conversation.
0: Fantastic. I'll make sure I include uh, links as well too in the show notes. But Chris, I want to thank you again for your time and uh, again having me out to CultureRamp. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Justin. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, just before we head off, I want to take another quick moment and thank you very much for joining me for today's episode. As always, a big thank you to our sponsor, YZ. Um, don't forget to check them out for your own free 14-day trial. Um, remember, if you like this episode and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to the Y2 Podcast wherever you find your podcasts so you don't miss out on any new episodes as they come out. And don't forget to leave a five-star review if you haven't already. Really appreciate that. Um, Also, make sure you check out our YouTube page if you want to watch many of these episodes online. And of course, you can jump over to the Y2 Podcast website. That's projecty2.com, projecty2.com, where you can subscribe to our mailing list to get weekly topical articles and resources and a range of additional content not released on the Y2 Podcast, all focused on helping you ask better questions to live a better life. And with that being said, I'll speak to you soon.